Welcome to Current, a no-nonsense current event show with facts and opinions that are both educational and entertaining. Now, your host of Current, Valerie Hayes. Welcome to Current. I'm Valerie Hayes, and Current is a show that was created just for you, to help you get the information you need to develop your own opinion. Because often when you're watching the news, you're confused and overwhelmed by shows that tell you what happened, but not really why. And you find it just impossible to develop your own opinion. Well, Current is is really kind of a kitchen table conversation where people share their different views and insights. And yes, there there are opinions, but there's no yelling, there's no name calling and there's no guests talking over each other. It's just simple information that you need to know to develop your own opinion. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the recent conversation about privacy rights versus hacking into the San Bernardino shooter's cell phone. I'm sure you've all seen it in the news. Plus, we're also going to do a discussion of the current immigration system, what's working and what's not, and what options are being proposed by the various presidential candidates. So it's a great show for you today, super informative, and I hope that you enjoy every minute and you get something out of it. Well, I'm sure you all recall the December 2nd attack in San Bernardino, California, where two shooters with apparent ties to ISIS and other terrorist organizations shot and killed 14 people at a holiday party attended by the man's co-workers. Saeed Farouk, the man, and his wife, Tashfeen Malik, opened fire in a conference room Then they fled the scene in a vehicle and were later tracked down and killed in a shootout with police. And while it appears that they did successfully dispose of multiple cell phones that they were using, an Apple iPhone that was provided to Saeed Farouk by his employer, he he was actually a county food safety inspector employed by the county, provided with the cell phone for company business, that Apple iPhone was recovered. The FBI would now like to gain access to any text messages or data stored on the cell phone, but they're blocked by a security feature. Every every Apple iPhone has a security feature that encrypts data, and um, you know you have to have your little passcode to sign in. And if you try the wrong passcode more than 10 times, it basically destroys all the data on the iPhone. So it assumes if you're entering the passcode, the little code to get in, it's not the correct passcode. It keeps denying you and denying you. And if you do it more than 10 times, it assumes that you are not the owner of the cell phone. You do not have the access code. You have no right to that information. And it destroys the data stored on um, that cell phone. So unable to come up with their own workaround, the FBI contacted Apple to ask for their assistance in unlocking the, the phone, the iPhone, um, in a way that wouldn't destroy the data if they were using the wrong code, which is where the controversy of privacy versus national security begins. And joining us for our discussion today, I'm super excited because my, my first guest today is an appellate and intellectual property and technology attorney. She's also a blogger and columnist, a podcast host, and is featured in the Huffington Post Women in Tech You Need to Follow on Twitter. Currently, she practices appellate and technology law, primarily on a consulting basis, and she absolutely claims that she has more fun than should be allowed hosting her great show, Week in Law, which you can find Fridays on twit.tv at 11 Pacific. We'll provide a link for you in on her guest page. And she also writes the occasional column for the American Lawyer, 
which is fabulous. You can find her particular spin on life and the law on several blogs, including Bag and Baggage, Logarithms Between Lawyers, and The Industry Standard. Please welcome to the show the very intelligent, very accomplished Denise Howell. Hi, Denise. Hi, Valerie. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, it's great to have you here. And I know that a lot of people are seeing this story in the news and they're just completely confused by it. They, they know that there's this Apple iPhone that maybe has information that could track down connections that the two shooters used to make the bombs or, you know, purchase all of the ammunition that was used actually to even fund, um, the, the attack. You know, they had to get money for the attack. I know that people are really confused by this. If you were explaining the basic issue of, you know, what's going on here, how would you explain, um, how, would, how would you explain or summarize the legal argument that's being made by the FBI? Well, first, you're absolutely right. It's, it's very easy to get confused by this issue, probably more so than most because it involves both complicated issues of technology and fairly complicated issues of law. So you're getting sort of a double whammy here with this uh, particular situation. Uh, you set the situation up very well in your introduction. There's one thing I would clarify, having followed this pretty closely on both the technological and the legal front, and that is that the passcode that is securing this particular phone, they don't know. Uh, right. the, the government does not know if they um, actually try to force the passcode 10 times, if it will delete all the data on the phone. That's just an optional feature that might be turned on, and they don't want to risk it. So what they've so done they is... So they haven't actually tried hacking the passcode. They are just saying, we don't even try, want to try it because if we do and it blows up, then we're lost. Well, it's not quite that simple. They've tried and continue to try to hack into the phone in ways that won't destroy the data. So they're trying their very best um, not to trigger that auto wipe feature if it's even turned on. And actually, there was a breaking development... Uh, in this saga just yesterday, there was supposed I saw to be, that. yes, there was supposed to be a hearing today, uh, that, um, there is already an order in place from a trial court here in California, a federal trial court, uh, a magistrate judge who is someone, uh, who's appointed to help the regularly sitting federal judges with their kind of more administrative details. This particular judge likely does not try any cases. But likely does the kind of thing that she's she's doing in this case. She's responding to requests from the U.S. Attorney's Office as they're trying to help the Justice Department with their investigation into into what may be on this phone. And again, I would emphasize for your listeners, nobody knows what's on this phone. Um, right. Any any speculation as to what is on there is just that. We don't know what sort of information uh, they might be able to uncover, but it's part of a routine uh, criminal investigation to find that out. So that, that's what the government is trying to do here. But but what's going on, uh, it, probably the best way for me to explain the legal situation is to give everyone an, an analogy. I hope they can understand a little bit better. Um, I have a 12-year-old son, and uh, he frequently pushes back at me when it's bedtime. He's at that age where he doesn't want to go to bed, but, you know, at the particular appointed time when I know it's good for him and and he needs to be fresh for school the next day. Uh, so in that situation, I am the lawmaker 
And I'm actually authorized to make the law that tells my son when to go to bed. Uh, and so he really doesn't have much choice. He can grumble all he want, but wants, but he still has to go to bed when I tell him to. Uh, now, the government might see itself in my role <laughs> in this Apple situation as as the lawmaker that, that gets to tell Apple what to do. But it's wrong here. That's that's how, why there's a legal issue about this. Um, the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office has gone into court and gotten an order that the actual statutes, federal uh, law in our country, uh, don't support. Um, there, there is a very broad, old statute that the government is relying on. But newer law says, you know what? There's no requirement for Apple to not make secure phones. Apple's allowed to do that until Congress comes along and says, uh, gee, Apple, we, we think this is too dangerous. We can't get into the information that we know is residing on suspects' phones, and so you have to give us a way to do that. Congress has to make that law in order to make Apple um, responsible for complying with an order like the one in this case. It hasn't made that law. So, so here, uh, instead of uh, it being... Me, mom, the lawmaker, the acknowledged lawmaker being able to say, okay, go to bed. Uh, instead, it's like my next door neighbor coming along and, and telling my son to go, to go to bed. And he instead would look at them and go, uh, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> and that's right. Pretty much exactly. What Apple, what Apple is doing here. Uh, this, it's not this court's role, uh, to tell Apple to do what it's told it to do here. So that's why Apple has challenged the order. Uh, it may not be a very popular decision. Uh, it, it may be, you know, like my son mouthing off to my next door neighbor, <laughs> it might not go over very well. But technically, uh, Apple and my son are absolutely right in their respective uh, positions. Uh, Apple uh, shouldn't be required to comply with this order because uh, the the important step of there actually being a law uh, that mandates what Apple uh, is being required to do here it has not happened. So, again, using, you know, the kind of everyday occurrence um, as opposed to this particular situation, we've all seen on, you know, TV, CSI, everybody's addicted, right? We're all little legal experts from watching these shows. Um, you know, we see the police detective walk in and, you know, fl- flop down a warrant for all these files about the, the criminal's financial dealings or banking history or something like that. How is this situation different from a warrant that requests information that somebody has in their file or somebody is storing at their company on um, an individual or on on something that the police is trying to get data on? Sure. Um, it's a pretty straightforward answer there. Apple doesn't have the information. Whatever information that the government thinks might be on that phone is on that phone. Uh, Apple doesn't have it stored anywhere. To the extent that Apple actually did have information stored because for a while uh, this phone was backing up some of its data to iCloud. And, and folks who have iPhones know that you have uh, the option to uh, back up your phone in case you lose it, uh, in case something happens to it and you need to replace the data on a new phone, you can back it up to the cloud. Uh, and that's a feature that can be turned on or off. And for a while, that feature was turned on on this phone. And Apple has absolutely cooperated and turned over any information that it had in its possession because um, – 
the phone had been backed up to iCloud. Now, the iCloud backup was turned off uh, something like a month before uh, the actual shooting took place here. And we, do, we don't know why exactly, but that seems to have been uh, what happened. So that that's why the government wants to drill down and get the information that's actually on the phone. So getting back to your question, why is this not like uh, the government coming to a party that has information and asking for it to be turned over? It's not because Apple doesn't have that information. It's on the phone if it exists at all. So it's not in the possession of Apple. It's in, I guess, possession of the deceased shooter, even though he's deceased, because it's his cell phone. Well, technically, um, it's in the possession of the government right how, now. Yeah. And, and the reason that the... Um, uh, that the hearing tomorrow, or, I'm sorry, it would have been this afternoon. It would have been actually um, half an hour from when we're recording this show. Uh, has, it's been continued because the government has come in and told the court that as of last Sunday, March 20th, they've actually found a way that they think might be able to get them into the phone without Apple's help. So they want to test that method. They've asked for some more time to test that method and make sure. I, I assume they're going to get some similar model phones and try to break into them the same way and see if it deletes any of the data. Um, and assuming that that actually goes their way, uh, they will come back to the court and say, you know what? We had you enter this order, but we don't need it anymore. We've managed to do this without Apple's help at all. So this large brouhaha about making Apple compromise on the, the security on these devices, we don't need to push that issue right now, and we'd like you to vacate the order. Which would be nice, because then we wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. But assuming that it doesn't work out that way, and that we have to continue this conversation and discussion. So one of the the aspects of the iPhone and the technology used in the iPhone that Apple manufactures, one of the aspects that they feel makes them, gives them a competitive edge in the marketplace is that they have these encryption um, software technology in the phone that makes them, those phones, less uh, able to be hacked. And some experts claim that that's why that the terrorists particularly selected the iPhone because of that kind of anti-hacking um, encrypted software. Um, now, Apple already has a method to extract this data that's on the cell phone, not backed up to the iCloud. They also already have a method to extract data from older style cell phones, and they've done so apparently for at least 70 times for law enforcement. Why are they resisting this time? They, they don't have a method uh, to get the data off this phone. Uh, they so would they, actually. The method exists for the older style technologies, but not for this technology. I'm, I'm actually not certain about that either. Um, it, it may be that um, an older model phone has, is in a different situation than this particular phone and, and the ones that are, um, much newer than this one. This is not a, a new in, you know, I don't even know if you can buy an iPhone five, uh, in stores anymore. Uh, you might be able to, but I think um, anything on eBay. Well, yes, no, I mean, I mean in the actual Apple stores, but, right. uh, right. Um, it, in this particular phone, they do not have the means to, to help the government without sitting down and writing a whole new operating system for the phone that 
compromises the security feature that has been built into it. And the notion that the terrorists picked iPhones because of its strong security, I kind of have to laugh at that. Yes, iPhones, uh, among many other phones, have some encryption and security features, but they are by no means the strongest uh, phone available if, if what you are after is absolute security. There's something out there called the black phone, for example, that is specifically uh, manufactured to be as secure a phone as it's possible to have. And, and it's, it's more secure in several ways than any iPhone that's on the market now. Um, so the notion that the terrorists picked the iPhone because of its security features, I, I, you know, who knows who can get inside a terrorist head and decide what, why they've done what they've done. Uh, but you're absolutely right that there is a market uh, for normal consumers, non-criminal, non-terrorist consumers who want to have some sense of security in their data. When you think about the things that we use phones for these days, uh, my uh, sister-in-law just gave me a fitness tracker for um, my birthday. Um, so all that information about my sleep-wake cycles, my dietary proclivities, my um, uh, how many steps I've taken a day, that's all going to be logged into their app on my phone. Uh, not to mention people do their banking, people have actual DNA-related information on their phones sometimes, their personal photographs. Uh, there's so much uh, very, very personal information that might be stored on a phone that you can see why Apple likes to be able to tell its customers, uh, here are the security measures that we're giving you, consumers, to make sure that you have some comfort that your personal data on your phone is secure. So um, there, there is definitely a reason uh, to make phones in a way that involves security. It's certainly a selling point for Apple and other phone manufacturers. And, and again, if the government, if we as a society decide that, yes, the government needs, though, access to these devices in situations like this, then we need to pass a law that expressly says that. So let's talk about that for a moment. So, you know, obviously we remember your great uh, analogy of, you know, you setting the rules for your son to go to bed and Hmm. the neighbor coming over and saying, whoa, I'm changing the rules and they're not really allowed to do that. So let's say that that Congress decided that they wanted to pass a law that all cell phones need to have some type of backdoor kind of thing. Do you feel that there would be a conflict between what people often feel is a constitutional right for reasonable expectation of privacy? Would there be a conflict between that reasonable expectation of privacy concept and passing a law to protect national security? Absolutely, there would. And there has been for several years. That's why we haven't seen this kind of law go into effect yet. But that's how our system works. We have elected representatives. They hold hearings. They bring in experts. They talk. They debate. They fit, they balance those difficult issues. And right now, the balance that our lawmakers have decided to strike uh, is that uh, phones do not have to be backdoored. Uh, and and we're talking about a, a cell phone situation here, but there's no reason why we're specifically dealing with only cell phone technology here. When you go back to everything that you do with your phone these days, they're basically a computer. So, you know, does this also mean that every computer on everybody's desk, every iPad, every tablet, every 
other computing device that we use, that they will have to be backdoored and, and that any strong encryption that is included on them and all of those devices contain various kinds of strong encryption. Well, they also have to be backdoored so that in an emergency, uh, the government may get in. Again, the way things stand now is the government can seize these devices. They can take any measures that they know how to do or they can hire experts uh, who know how to do it to help them gather this information. But there's no requirement under our law now that Apple or any other computer or phone manufacturer compromise its own encryption in a way that undermines its promise to consumers that, hey, you know, we've made this as privacy-friendly to you as we could possibly do. Well, I think you've done a great job, Denise, of taking a very complicated topic and making it super easy for us to understand, um, you know, what the current situation is, as well as the competing, I guess, issues and overall concerns. And I really appreciate your being here on the show with us today, Denise. It's been my pleasure, Valerie. Thank you so much for inviting me. And remember to check out Denise's bio on the show page and catch her show, Week in Law, Fridays on twit.tv, twit.tv at 11 o'clock Pacific. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion about your reasonable expectation of privacy and national security, but it's time for a short break. When we come back, join me for an in-depth discussion of issues surrounding legal as well as illegal immigration and a conversation about suggested changes to the immigration system. So stay tuned and we'll be right back here on Current. Did you know that your pageant paperwork is the secret to impressing the judges before you even walk into the interview room? It's true. Your pageant paperwork really is the foundation of your pageant interview. With my Rock Your Contestant Bio DIY coaching resource, you'll learn to avoid the most common paperwork mistakes and establish yourself as a leading choice for the title. Just visit my website today at www.valeriehayes.com and click on the Rock Your Bio tab. A great contestant bio is the first step towards your crowning moment. Are you looking for couture jewelry to create your winning look? Internationally known pageant jewelry designer Stephanie Summers has been creating crowning looks for elite contestants across all the major pageant systems for over a decade. Whether you select a custom piece of jewelry handcrafted to match your wardrobe exactly, or you wear something special from Stephanie's new affordably priced trifles collection, you'll stand out as a contestant who's ready to wear the crown. Why spend all that money on a great gown and then wear run-of-the-mill jewelry? Visit www.stephaniesummers.com today and let her create the jewelry of your dreams. Are you entering your first pageant and feeling a little nervous about the pageant interview? Or are you an experienced contestant but feel that your pageant interview scores don't reflect your true abilities? Do you want to develop a winning pageant interview that reflects your personal style and puts you over the top? I'm Valerie Hayes, and I'm an award-winning pageant coach who has a proven track record of coaching contestants and developing the public speaking skills necessary to impress the judges. I've created a variety of options just for you, including DIY Coach Yourself at Home materials, teleseminars, workshops, and VIP private coaching to help you develop your winning pageant interview. 
interview. You'll learn the techniques that professional speakers, spokesmodels, and even politicians and press secretaries use to come across as confident and informed every time. Plus, I'll teach you how to handle trick questions and to seed the interview so that you get questions that highlight you as the obvious choice for the title. So visit my website, ValerieHayes.com, and click on the VIP Coaching tab today, and we'll get started on working towards your crowning moment. Hollywood Fashion Tape, the star's secret to looking perfectly put together, is also the favorite fashion solution company for the pageant world. The creators of the original hypoallergenic double-stick tape used to prevent wardrobe malfunctions, Hollywood Fashion Tape also offers a wide assortment of clever, problem-solving products designed to give you a competitive edge on stage or off. From our guaranteed no-show concealers to our never-fail breast lift tape, we've got you covered. Visit HollywoodFashionTape.com and see how you can have the same confidence the stars have when walking your red carpet. 